This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical. With your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Welcome back, everybody. I am one of your hosts of this wonderful, shitty little podcast called Apostates Anonymous. Um, no, it's been it's been wild. It's been a great year. Um, yeah. Keith Giles, welcome. Um, this has been your first full year of Apostates Anonymous, and we've yeah. never been bigger. That's awesome, man. I mean, you know, didn't I? We started. I, 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 we, you sort of relaunched this thing. You and I did it together in January, right? So it's almost a full yeah, year. Been a full year. Yeah, that's awesome. And it has done, it's been fun. I've had a blast doing it. Um, not just coming up with these great ads and sponsors that we come up with, which make us laugh. But, but mainly. But, but mainly. mainly that. But also, in addition to that, uh, just the things we talk about. It's been a lot of fun. And the feedback, too, to be honest. Because um, it's been fun to go on like Spotify and iTunes and read people. Thank you, by the way, everybody who's done that, uh, rated and reviewed it and things like that. It's just great to hear that people appreciate the podcast and that they're listening um, and all that. So, yeah. And I, I must say, this is the first time that happens. Someone joined the Heresy After Hours group and on the question, what is your favorite podcast? They said Apostates Anonymous. Oh, I had God never seen that as an answer before. And I was like, <laughs> absolutely, you can come join. Hell yes. Oh, that's great. In fact, we'll make you an admin. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Just for that, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, so it's been it's been a blast, man. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me to do my uh, third podcast. So now I'm, I've got this nonstop podcasting thing uh, going it's on. It's not a bad thing, but it's no, it's fun. Yeah. Each podcast that I do is fun in a, and for a different reason. And um, I don't want to do any more, but uh, three no, is a good number. Don't don't invite any of us to Please. be a co-host for your show. No, I'll, no, no. I'll get we'll guest, but. Yeah, exactly. one time, a one-off, a one-off only. We'll do a one-off, but that's it. Perhaps yeah. a series. Um, yeah, so uh, speaking of ads, we have another ad today. And uh, it was sent to me a while ago, but I thought, you know, it's about to be Christmas. So we're going to yeah. we're gonna hold off on this advertisement until the Christmas holiday season. Mm-hmm. This will come out two weeks but before Christmas or a week and a half, but it'll be the last episode before Christmas. So Merry Christmas if you celebrate. If you don't, whatever you celebrate. Happy I hope it's the, I have yeah. for the rest of us. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's um let's have our producer here cue up this uh, this advertisement. Ho ho ho, everybody! It's me, Christian Santa, and I'm here to tell you about the greatest gift I could give: news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like me, He is always watching you waiting to see if you're going to be a nice boy or girl or a naughty little devil. And if you're naughty, well, ho, 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 you're gonna burn in hell where they make the coal. So make sure you get on Santa's nice list, boys and girls, unless you want no more Christmases, because there's none in hell. Ho, 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 see you soon, and happy birthday, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Thanks, Chris Kringle. Oh, oh, oh. oh, it's really fun to do that. I wanted to put like eight more of them in. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of the, um, I've seen, uh, you've probably seen these, like the little, it's like the nativity scene, but like, um, and uh, you got all the wise men and the, 
and the shepherds, you know, all around the the baby Jesus in the manger. But then there's Santa, and Santa's bowing mm-hmm. in in front of Jesus. I don't know if you've seen anything like that oh, before, but. God. And and back when I was an evangelical, I would look at that and say, "Yeah, oh, that's that's really great." But then you don't, you know, stop and go like, "Well, wait a minute, what? <laughs> How is Santa at the manger? How old is Santa? Damn, two thousand year old. I mean, he's old. The he's point is that Santa bows to Jesus. Exactly. So the thing is, he would have been Santa for his whole life up to that point, and then Jesus was born. So, like, what the hell was he doing? Before that, it doesn't make any sense, right? Of course it doesn't make so sense. So Santa, you were giving gifts. There was a Christmas before there was a Jesus. I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. And then Jesus came along and ruined it. <laughs> like and Santa took it back. Yeah. Santa's oh, taking oh, it back. Oh, if anyone That's... ever needs out there a tall hobbit looking motherfucker to be your Santa Claus, I'm it. Because ho, ho, ho. Isn't it's it super fun? fun. Oh, I got so to play fun. Santa one time uh, back when we were doing the motel church thing. And... uh we wanted to do a Christmas thing for the kids at the motel. And so someone had a, someone had a Santa suit and uh, the whole thing. So I put the whole thing on and um, somebody had a red convertible. Uh, I think it was what kind of car it was. You were a cool Santa. It was like a Mustang or something and it was red convertible. So yeah, instead of coming in on a sleigh, I came in in the red convertible. Uh, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. It's fun to be Santa. It is. There you go. I fulfilled my dream of Santa Claus. Yeah. And, and when I your kids are little. Was, that was me. That was yeah. Me when your kids are little, it's fun. When they, then they grow up and it, yeah. it's not fun anymore. And if, no. Then they want like Apple Apple Music gift cards for Christmas. That's right. Yeah. Give me an Amazon gift card or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. man. Or, or my daughter, Lululemon. You ever heard of a hundred dollar like yoga pants? No, are this there some? Wild. Yeah, the shit's wild. All the dancers wear them. It's fucking crazy. Hundred dollar? Are they? Wow, yeah. made out of silk wild, or something. So out there, um, buy our choir books, please. We have. Um, please, we have bills to pay. I have. I got a very expensive <laughs> daughter with very uh, expensive yeah. taste. All right, so um, we have a topic today. We do have a topic, right? Yes, fresh, hot topic, up, please. hot off the press, as always. Uh, a topic bite. that we came up with 10 minutes before we hit the red button and hit record. Um, not so, yeah, not think, even lying. Not even lying. We're, I mean, we're not kidding. No, that's not a joke. That is absolutely We, we hope true. it shows. Yes. Because um, we were like, oh, oh gosh, we got to record something. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. Um, but I was like, okay, you know what? Let's talk about the Bible, you know? And, uh, and the reason why is I just started a, I guess about right after Thanksgiving, I, I, got bored and Twitter's dying. So I was like, you know, I'm going to jump on this TikTok thing and see what it's all about. So I started this TikTok account. I put it like, I think I have like 20 videos up there right now. And for Damn, the most how part, many it's followers fun. you got. Am I following you? Oh, I got like 400 or something. It's or less than that. It's, it's not that, you know, it's, it's slow. It's, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near like April joy or Lacey bean. They have like over a hundred thousand followers and stuff. Um, I just don't have the time. You know what I mean? You have to be able to put up videos. All the and time. You have to be, you have to be able to, to be plan it. Daily. It's a it's yeah. a pain in the ass. So anyway, yeah, you got to put up certain videos. You got to comment on things. You got to oh, yeah. you know it's it's yeah, a whole yeah. it's an algorithm. You know it's the god I, of the algorithm. I haven't figured out how to do a stitch yet. You know where you like quote somebody else's TikTok. I know duets and stitches, and I'm I like, don't know how to do I, that. that. Sound like an old ass boomer. I'm like uh, yeah, these I, goddamn kids. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point is that having been on TikTok. Um, for the most part, it's great because, you know, there's a lot of people going, oh, yeah, that's cool. And man, I didn't know that. And thank you so much. And, you know, the people appreciate the the content. But then there's always, I mean, I, it's like they're freaking everywhere, right? These fundy Christians and, and that are like, that's not true. The Bible says this and the Bible says that. And I'm like, oh, gosh, man, uh, I can't escape these people. Um, and so anyway, I, I suggested the topic of the Bible because there's you know, there's a lot of issues with the Bible. There, there's all kinds of translation issues. There's misunderstandings, uh, misapplications of Scripture, and then just on the other side of things too. Anytime we talk about the Bible, uh, people always want to know, like, oh, what what version of the Bible do you use, or which one do you recommend? Um, so we can talk about that. You and I can sit, talk about, you know, when we do read the Bible or or research or something. What what do we prefer? Um, just, just in case people are looking for something that is sort of trustworthy, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, before we get into that, like 
It's interesting that you go on TikTok, which is supposed to be like for the kids and everything. And then and then you run into people who it just sounds like the way Christians a lot of the times approach that. Well, what the Bible? You just sound old. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they do. Well, back in my day, the Bible meant the gays go to hell. You know, back that was the good old Christian days. It's like, uh, you just sound, you sound old. What are you doing on TikTok? I know. And, and, and but, but then, yeah. but then it's like, are they going to listen to a long form podcast like this where, yeah, listen to an hour of us talking about the Bible? Yeah. It's like, yeah. maybe not, but, but for those, for those who stick around and listen to podcasts, it's like reading books, you know? Yeah. Take yeah. some effort. Yeah. Thank you. So, and hope this helps. <clears throat> So here's what I've noticed. Tell me, tell me if this is your experience on t- TikTok. I've only, like I said, I've only been on TikTok about a month. Um, but what I, what I've noticed on TikTok, what, as I, if I just, if I kind of flip through it, you know, and and mm-hmm. and see what other people are doing, it seems to me that uh, if it's a man, it's an old white guy doing Bible stuff, teaching the Bible, and if it's a girl, for the most part, she's like shaking her booty. And well, you, what, you that's I mean? your algorithm, dude. That okay. Well, that, that's, that's what the I'm videos getting. you watch. <laughs> that's well. That I'm I think just, you just added yourself. No, dude. Videos. I haven't. I haven't liked anything or watched anything. I really. I oh. jump on. I record. Well, the my TikTok stuff. is just assuming that Keith Giles, based on your information, is either going to be interested in old white men talking about the Bibles <laughs> or girls shaking their ass. I guess they assume. Okay, this is an old old guy. Yeah, that's, a man. That's, that's it. It's, He's it's probably based on your, in, yeah. It's yeah. it's based on your demographics, and most guys in your demographics are going to be doing these one of two things. They're going to be, which is probably like the irony, <laughs> like that. That's what they do. Like they read their Bible, and then they secretly watch girls shake their ass, and then they right. condemn everyone else. Right. And and so this is my this is the my conundrum also. Like as somebody trying to create content on TikTok, is that I I realize that I'm quickly turning into like a Bible answer man kind of person, and I don't. That's not what I want to do. That. You know yeah. what I mean? But I, but I, I start feeling like I'm supposed to, because like I, I'll make a couple little videos that I think are interesting. And then the comments are like, but what about this verse? And what about that verse? And, and then well, like, Oh, well, I guess I got to answer that question. And now, now all I'm doing is doing videos answering, well, when, when Jesus says this in Matthew 13, what he really means, you know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden that's what I'm doing. But that's a, I mean, that's, there's a good, do you, do you take the comment and then make a video based on the comment, a new video? I did, yes. Like that's how you should do it. You should not don't comment on don't actually physically like No no, no I've done a video to react to yeah, somebody's yeah. comments. It's a reaction yeah. video. Then but yes. then just pick the ones you want to do. Don't answer don't even read the comments, man, unless you're looking for content. Yeah, most of the time. Well you that's can't what I'm just saying. be yeah, you can't just be looking to actually engage with people. Yeah. You can't what have I'm... a serious conversation about anything on, on TikTok or no, Twitter. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. Like it is forced to be the way it's set up is to be completely hyperbolic and reactionary because it's you have a very limited space to get in a bunch of shit. So you got to get in the craziest shit. You can't build a thesis and an argument. Right. You know, it's just basically pot no. shots back and forth. Well, and this is the other problem because one of my favorite comments that I got so far was I had done one about just talking about how, you know, and again, this leads into our topic, like how in Philippians that famous verse, you know, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And I always was taught it that it was basically like through gritted teeth, all the atheists and unbelievers and pagans, whatever, and gay people, uh, all the sinners, quote unquote, the day was going to come that, oh crap, there's Jesus. And through gritted teeth, they were going to bow their knee and say, Jesus is Lord. But that the word in Greek is And then Jesus was going to whoop their ass. And then he'll, then he'll, the sword's going to pop out of his mouth. He's going to cut their heads off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Christians are going to go yay. So, um, but it, so anyway, I did a video, a TikTok video, explaining that the Greek word there for confess is actually exomologio, which if you look up the definition of it in a Greek dictionary, exomologio, the first definition is to gladly and joyfully confess, and that that it's that's how it should really read. So anyway, I did that, and then one of the reactions, the comments to that was um, something like, "How can you use? How can you take this one verse?" Uh, of the Bible to disprove hundreds of others that teach eternal torment. And I was like, well, number one, I wasn't trying to do that. Um, and number two, they only give you three minutes. So I, in three minutes, I can't possibly react to every single verse in the Bible. Right. Like, come on. Uh, and again, so it's, that's the problem with TikTok. It's this limitation. We're like, you got three minutes max and you better be able to just spit it out and make your point in three minutes or you're, you know, that's all you got. 
Yeah, that's why you keep on creating more and more. Yeah, yeah, you have to do more little bites. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that's. um, I mean that that that's going to be the approach to the Bible for anyone is that it says a lot of things that are often contradictory. So in their view, the conclusion is hell. So therefore, read everything in light of hell. That's right. And you know you could be an annihilationist, and then so you read it's it's like presuppositional apologetics. And we all do that. Yes, we all to to a degree do that. Like I. Uh, well, I mean, some of us, I think, transcend that to where you where you say, like, I would say I'm a universalist and I acknowledge that there are passages that don't need to be reconciled with universalism because there were probably uh, annihilationists also in the Bible. Right. Or maybe Paul believed in some sort of annihilation at first and then changed and then later you get and more universalist passages. Yes. And then I'm like, oh, so so then it comes down to the well, what, how do we view the Bible? Do we allow it to breathe and be this conversation where even Paul, as one writer, can change theologies? That would be way off limits for most Christians. Okay, so that's the first point I think we we need to make in doing the, a podcast episode about the Bible is like you just said. Number one, the Bible says a lot of things that are sometimes contradictory. The Bible is not univocal. The Bible does present not only a variety of different perspectives about God or about hell or about different topics and doctrines. Um, but like you said, uh, I, I do think, you know, we have to give someone like Paul who wrote more than one thing. Um, Cause you know, you get like John or uh, well, Peter didn't write Peter, but you know what I mean? Like you, you have certain uh, books in the Bible where like that one prophet or that one person wrote one thing. You and get then one book. That's it. You get that. You only get that perspective. Yeah, yeah, but with yeah. Paul, we've got like, you know, at least what, five undisputed uh, epistles and then several others that are kind of like, eh. And iffy. some years between. And, and yeah. you know, we all know what happens when there's years of, you, you see, Paul just changed his mind in a radical way. Yes. Day one, he's not going to have quote no. unquote perfect theology. No. For all of us who have changed in some way or another, it takes a lot of years and wrestling to solidify what that means or to, or to continue to change. So, right, yeah, good, to your point, Paul has letters he, at point A and then point B. And there's yeah. a lot of space and time in between. Right. And I, I, yes, so I think, so that's an important point to make. That's something that if I could... um if if I could just help Christians see one thing, I mean, it would be so helpful, right? If you could if you could help evangelical Christians understand that it is it's not accurate to treat the Bible like it's one book, and there are and again this is the problem with this idea of infallibility and inerrancy is because then you're locked into, then that means that something you know that's said in in um, Colossians can't contradict something that you read in, you know, Galatians, whatever, like, Mm -hmm. but so, so, you know what I mean? As long as you have that, if that's your filter, that the Bible is, uh, inerrant and infallible, then that means now you cannot tolerate the idea that there are contradictions, that there are like, oh, this book says this and that book says that even the idea of like, um, in the old Testament scriptures where, you know, if you asked a question, um, does God demand animal sacrifice uh, for the forgiveness of sins? It depends on who you ask or which book mm-hmm. you read, right? If you read Moses, he's going to say, hell yes, and you better do it exactly this way. And if you don't, you know, do it this way in this place at this time with these people involved and in this order, or God won't accept it and you're screwed. And then you have other people like, you know, ask Hosea or ask Isaiah or ask David, and they'll say, oh, no, not at all. God never commanded that. God didn't want that. And it never takes away anybody's sins. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, when I did apologetics, I got into apologetics when I was in college. And I had what Norman Geisler's uh, When Skeptics Ask book, and I had uh, Scaling the Secular City by J.P. Moreland. And of course, what's the one, the big famous one by McDowell? Um, evidence that demands a verdict and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I was into that, man. I was all into that. And it's funny how much of apologetics is about trying to harmonize stuff like that where, but over here it says this and over here it says that. Right. And mm-hmm. then it's the, it's this blind um, insistence that no, no, it has to 
all agree. There can't be any contradictions. So you watch these people just twist themselves into pretzels trying to explain why, oh, that's not, no, no, that's not really a contradiction. Which is just really wild. Is. It's wild. <laughs> and it's on the it's on the assumption or the presupposition that if that if God were to have a book, it would have to be inerrant and fallible because God is it. And it's like, what a weird way to view our relationship. Because the whole like the whole Bible is if I could be super reductive and distill it into one sentence, it's like, how do I relate to God now? That's uh-huh. basically it, right? That's how the yeah. people are essentially the prophets, the law. Like, how do we relate to God now? And here's how here's how it is. To think that that wouldn't contain errors, like when you yeah. have so many people involved, it's just a it's ah. yeah. <laughs> it def it not it's not only absurd, but it defeats the purpose of it makes the Bible uninteresting. Right. Whereas right. I, you know, if you have I pointed out in in my book Heretic. In Second Kings, there's an account of a, of a massacre. Oh, yeah. And then Hosea later, and, and it's anointed by God, right? It's anointed by God through the prophet Elijah. Right. And it's because some particular person did something that was supposed to be like wrong, right? It's like a Yeah, judgment. it was like tyrannous. Yeah, it was like a judgment. There was a, tyran- yeah. uh, a tyrannical you know, regime or whatever. Yeah. But Hosea later says that, uh, where is it? Hosea 1.4, in a while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. <laughs> And I'll put to end the kingdom of the house of Israel. It's like, wait, but you are you you anointed it. Yeah, like, you commanded it, you anointed it, you said it was yeah. And then you're gonna it. punish the people who do it. It's like Yeah, how dare you? Okay, so <laughs> why is that in the Bible? Well, because it's an interesting text where people disagree. Yeah. And if you don't let them disagree, and if you then you then you've you've created you've put the Bible into like the dustbin of history. Right. Yeah, that's where it belongs with inerrancy. Inerrancy right. belongs in the dustbin of history. Looking at this text as like uh, Gerard calls it a text in travail. We have theological discourse. We have disagreements. We have debates. We have Judaism. Mm -hmm. That's what Judaism is. Like it's debates. It's it's rabbis discussing all. It's like, no, we're going to take that from this tradition and we're going to make it a dead text and a white text. Yeah. And, you know, all these things that we do, a colonizing text. And it's like, okay, if that's the Bible, then we don't need the Bible. Just like if that's your God, we don't need that God. Yeah. And so it's not, you know, again, yeah, you're exactly right, man. Exactly. Like, yeah, the, the, the Jewish people, Jewish rabbis, um, love arguing all about their own texts because there is all this openness and room for discussion and debate. And they appreciate all the different perspectives and views on the same text, even, even on a single text. Like I have been blown away. I've watched a couple of times on YouTube, a couple of these different, um, Jewish rabbis, uh, sort of give their own take on the Garden of Eden. And they, first of all, they don't approach it like this really happened. They approach it as a story. And then they are pulling out of the story all kinds of things that are like so cool. But if you take them literally, then you would say, well, who's right and who's wrong? They're, they're all right because they're seeing something you're not seeing. And it's, it's, a, it's a teachable moment. It's like, oh, here's what we can learn from this kind of a thing. Or even just to say, what if it was this? Okay, there's value in that too, without saying, well, you know, it's got to be right or wrong. And so, like to your point, um, the problem, of course, is that when you take the Bible so literally, and so you have, you have evangelical Christians, and they'll read a text and they'll say, well, look right here, God commanded so-and-so to do so-and-so. Then therefore God... It was, it's true because he said, so God wanted this to happen. And then later on, you have another play, another, another prophet who says, oh, God did not like that. And because you did that and God didn't like it now, judgment's going to come on you. So what's mm-hmm. going on there? So it's, to me, it's it just, it's just an analogy. It's no different than what we see today. If you were to watch, um, you know, Robert Jeffries, um, uh, in Dallas, Texas at the first Baptist church there, and he would give a sermon and then he would say, um, Joseph Biden, you know, the president of the United States, Biden did something and God is not, that God doesn't approve of that. And God doesn't like that. And then you were to go turn over and watch, like, let's say, uh, Reverend Warnock, who's also a Christian and he's going to get up on Sunday morning and he's going to preach something about Joseph Biden. And he's going to say, president Biden did this thing, maybe loan forgiveness or something, whatever. And he would say, and God smiles on that and God blesses that. And God loves that. And God's all about forgiving debts. Amen. So what do you, what's going on? 
because they're both claiming that God agrees with them in their assessment of what happened. That's what's happening in those texts. The, the, the prophet is saying, this wasn't good, and, I, and therefore I'm, I'm saying God doesn't like that. God doesn't approve of that. Or God did approve of that. God thought that was a great thing. It's, it's that person's perspective that, in their opinion, God blesses that or God doesn't. It doesn't mean God really does. It just means that's what that person thought, right? And we have to allow the Bible to be that. It's, I say this all the time, that you have to break away from the idea that God wrote the Bible. God didn't write the Bible. People wrote the Bible. We wrote the Bible. And I think it's important for Christians to grasp that, to really, really get that. People wrote the Bible. God didn't. And and on one level, I can see evangelicals who would agree. They'd say, oh, yeah, I know that. Paul wrote Romans and whatever, you know, and, and Matthew wrote Matthew or whatever. Okay. But you still act like God wrote it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and the point is, no, Paul, Paul wrote those things. Um, you know, Mark wrote Mark, we think. Uh, John wrote John, whoever that John was, because um, a lot of times we don't know the authorship. But it's like you have to let that author speak through their perspective, and that's all it is. And and on the other side of inerrancy, it's actually okay. Like, I, I know the hesitancy of it's like the great pendulum swing. Well, if we can't trust all of it, we can't. How can we trust any right. of it? We have to throw it all out. We have that's to throw it all problem. out. That's part but, of that, that perspective. Yeah. But that's not realistic in any other, like there's nothing, there's no analogy that we can make. Like if you find out your wife is perfect, well, well, might as well get a divorce. (laughs) Or if you find out your child is perfect, ah, might as well send them to foster care. Right. You know, it's like, we we don't do that. Uh, Well, there's an error in one of Uh the original manuscripts for Tolkien. We might as well throw out the Lord of the Rings. It's like, no, uh, what do you, like we don't do that with any other thing in life, right? Or or we shouldn't, but then we want to get, we get to the Bible and say, well, it has to be hundred percent perfect or we can't trust any of it. Yeah, and so but this is part of the problem with approaching the Bible as a single book because again, yes, you, you know, to do the analogy that you just did like um if something in Lord of the Rings at the end contradicts something he said at the beginning of the book, well then I can't trust this book or it's a bad book or you know, Tolkien right. made a mistake. But again, God didn't write all those books in the Bible and there shouldn't even in my opinion the idea of putting all those books together in a single volume and it's and calling it one thing is part of the problem because it creates Seriously. this perception that it's all one thing. It's not. It's like right. sixty-six things if you have a you know a Protestant Bible. But then um, it's even more than that though, too, because then you have to ask, you have to broaden it out even more and say, okay, what what texts did outside of the canon of Bible of, of scripture or even outside of Judaism or Christianity, what, what influenced that writer who then wrote that book? That's right. You know, That's like, right. I, I mean, how much, um, how much of Hellenistic culture yep. influences the new Testament? How much of Zoroastrianism influences the Hebrew writers? How, how much did the Babylonian exile and Babylonian myths influence early Hebrew writers? And then like, you know, I've been, I've been doing this, um, and I've only started, so I've, I've less than a year I've been spending, um, looking at the gospel of Thomas and some of the Nag Hammadi stuff. Um, and, but, but that's been fascinating to me because what little I've looked at it is suggesting that, you know, maybe like one of the most fascinating things was, uh, I was reading about was that it, it seems that there's really strong evidence that, um, whoever wrote the gospel of John, John, somebody probably, probably maybe, maybe not the John, you think it is, but anyway, whoever wrote the Gospel of John, the illiterate illiterate fisherman, probably yes, did that, not that, write. Who wrote that amazing, that amazing text? Yeah, Greek philosophically, yeah, driven of course, text. Yeah. yes. Um, but then anyway, that whoever wrote the Gospel of John had read the Gospel of Thomas because there's several places in John that it seems almost like it's a direct response to specific sayings that are in Thomas. Um, so you know, again, it, it, there's just so much, and plus there's there's cultural context. Um, one of the things that, that blew me away was when um, I started, I read something that showed me how um, in First Timothy, that whole section about where Paul is saying, um, I don't permit a woman to teach in order to have authority over a man. And then he says, you know, I want women to dress modestly, not adorn their hair or dress in these, you know, fancy clothes. And, um, and then he concludes by saying women will be saved in childbirth. 
And if they do these things, and it's sort of like, if you don't understand that that letter was written to a church in Ephesus and that the significant thing about Ephesus was there was a massive temple, one of the seven wonders of the world to Artemis that used to be in Ephesus and that the Artemis worship there was insane. And what was involved in the Artemis worship, which was women adorning their hair and dressing in elaborate clothing. And why did they do that? So that they and their child would survive childbirth. So again, if you under without that cultural context of when that letter was written and who it's written to, and what was going on at the time in that church surrounding the influence of Artemis, then you won't. You're going to miss. Not only you're not going to understand all those references that are in Timothy. You're going to, and that's what's happened. People have misapplied them. Well, so Paul is saying that women shouldn't you know, use makeup, women shouldn't, shouldn't dress, uh, women should dress modestly. No, he's not saying all women everywhere for all time. He's thought, talking about a specific church in a specific place and time with a specific issue, right? And he's not saying that women are going to be saved if they have babies. That's, that's not what he's saying. But you won't understand what he's saying if you don't, again, if you don't have that cultural context. And this is part of the reason why um, it's so difficult I, I feel for the average Christian who wants to just go to the go to the you know Christian bookstore, buy a Bible, and sit down and read it because they want to understand what God was saying about whatever. I promise you, you can't do that because your English translation—I don't care really which one you're using—it's probably going to have layers and layers of stuff like that that won't be explained in the notes, that no. won't be commentary, and you'll just read it. And you will miss it, you know. You won't get it. Yeah, the, and there's just and there's and there's so many uh, interpretations that have to go into a translation. Like yeah. it's all it's it's really almost impossible to do a direct translation because, right. like in um, for example, in Luke four, I, I've talked about this passage a lot. I know you have too. When Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, um, the vengeance of the Lord is upon me. That's the passage that he leaves out from yeah yeah, yeah. he leaves out the in Isaiah yeah. 60 and then the crowd's response is is said in most bibles as a positive response yeah but in the in the text it simply says they were astonished by what he was teaching it should it, it doesn't say it's positively astonished or negatively right. astonished. they could have just been like shocked like what like holy shit what did he just do <laughs> it doesn't mean it's positive or negative it's just like right. oh my god um and and most translations use it positively which doesn't actually make sense because right. they're like they're very positive and then Jesus says something sarcastic and then they want to throw him off a hill. Yeah. No, it makes more sense and the King James actually gets this right that it just leaves they were astonished. Yeah. They were probably more like he says what he said, he dropped off a part of the day of jubilee. They were like what the hell is going on? Then he sarcastically retorted and said I'll tell you what the hell is going on. Um your our greatest prophets have always helped people outside of Gentiles. Yeah. Like yeah. The, this is nothing new. And then they're like, fuck this guy. Let's throw him off a hill. <laughs> that's, that's Matt's, that's, that's Matt's loose translation, but that's essentially what's going on in the text. So the point being is that the translators of, let's say the NIV have mm-hmm. to make a decision. Is the crowd positive or negative toward Jesus? And they make a positive, they make a decision that they're positive towards him. That's right. But really, they're probably more negative. But we're just guessing at this point, and so that's right. the point. Yeah, we're a lot of times we're we're doing guesswork, and it's normally good guesswork. Like it's people who are scholars who are making the yeah. guesswork. But you still yeah. have to in your English Bible, you won't get that. It's not going to have a footnote and says the crowd was astonished, not positive or negative. We have to take a guess. It's not yeah. explaining all those things. It's just saying, well, yeah. the crowd was 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 like, oh wow, great, Jesus, yay. <laughs> Yeah, I always, I always say, um, so when I was in, I think right out, I think it was when I graduated from high school, going into college, um, I bought an NIV Disciples Study Bible, which I still have, and I still use it today. It's actually put together with, it's held together with duct tape because I've, I've been, I've used it so long. The sign of a good Christian, Keith. There you go. Exactly. It's my badge, um, mm-hmm. my badge of honor. Um, but I always say that I, I think I... I ended up becoming a better student of the Bible because that that particular disciple study Bible is the worst study Bible ever printed. 
<laughs> every time I would, so anytime you come across a passage, like you're reading something and you're like, what the hell does that mean? And you mm-hmm. drop down to the notes because there's notes underneath at the bottom for like mm-hmm. footnotes for like all these passages. And, and, and nine times out of 10, if you read a passage and you were like, what the hell does that mean? And you drop down, there would be nothing, mm-hmm. no notes at all. And, but you're like, well, what? So they, they almost never explain the most troublesome or mis- or, you know difficult to understand passages. There's notes for all kinds of other stuff you don't care about, but there's nothing for all the, the difficult stuff that you're like, well, what does that mean? So that forced me to go outside of that Bible and to go look up and like, okay, where else can I go find something to get an answer? So it actually was in, in a weird way. I think it helped me be a better student of the Bible because it was so awful. So it was so, so lacking in those areas. Um, but I think that that sums up my entire Christian experience. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm so thankful for how terrible many of the answers were given to me that I, I searched them out myself. And now we've both written like 10 books. Because yeah. Of it. And, and mm-hmm. so, and you and I have talked about this a couple of times, but, um, it's one of my dream projects. I may, I may never be able to pull this off, but, um, because the Bible is such a mess, right. Um, because there almost isn't an English translation of the Bible that doesn't have some of these problems or issues, or just at least doesn't, like you were saying, doesn't go to the trouble of informing people that, well, there's more than one way to understand this, or there's other, you know, other perspectives on this or that. Um, I, my dream has always been like, man, it would be awesome to have like a commentary uh, or a study Bible, or, or at least a, mm-hmm. a commentary to the Bible um, written by, you know, like scholars and maybe people like, Peter ends and Brian's on and people like that to just to do, to go in and say on some of those difficult passages um, or, or passages that are, that are often mistranslated or misunderstood. Here's what's really going on. Right. And like you and I have talked about the, the, these other things that, that are missed because again, they're not called out um, things like prosopopoeia uh, in Romans. Like, dude, if you don't understand prosopopoeia, it took me, most of my life until you know, that was pointed out to me. I promise you, you're reading Romans wrong. You don't get it. You you are misunderstanding Romans. Like the entire chapter one of Romans, which is what most Christians love, right? Most evangelical Christians love quoting chapter well, one. You've got wrath and you've got anti-gay. Oh, I mean, anti-gay you've got it all wrath right and there. Judgment. Oh God, yeah, gave them over so to a reprobate mind. And oh my oh. gosh, yes. See, right there. Fire and brimstone. Right. And what you don't get in Prosopopoeia is the entire chapter one is the other voice and Paul doesn't come in until two. And in chapter two, it's now that's Paul saying to those judgmental people, Hey dummy. Yeah. You love putting those people down. You love looking down on those people, but you know what? The same judgment is on you because this with the same judgment, you look at those people, right? You also break the law. And again, you miss that. That's the whole point. That's you miss all that, and it gets, it's, it, it gets even crazier too. Because what I understand is when Paul's giving that big list of, it gets like he's talking to a certain type of people, right? So he's yeah. getting them all riled up with yes. the list. Oh, it's yes. what they're doing. It's like it's like if I was going to make a list on all on what the gay people are doing, right? They're out in the streets. They're naked. They're in. No, 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 I'd list all those things. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And to get all my my conservative, you know, anti-homo, you know, homophobic Christians riled up. But then in sandwiched in between there are like the shit that they're doing. Exactly. So it's to get them all interested. And then it's like, oh, but is he talking to me now? Now is Uh he talking about us? Right. And and so he's like, what he's doing is like, he's he's almost quoting, it's from Wisdom of Solomon, which isn't in your Bible, chapters Uh 13 and 14. That whole list is almost the same. Wow. So he's like quoting it, so they'd be, they'd know they'd be like, oh, this is from this is from our shit. Yeah, this is from our good shit here. Uh-huh. And they're talking about the Gentiles. They're so dirty and they're so horrible. And yeah. and then he flips it on him and and is like, he, yeah. it's like if you were then talking about the greed of of like, it's like we're talking about anti homophobic stuff and get all the conservatives riled up, and then we talk about like the greed of corporatism and capitalism, yeah. and and yeah. then they'd be they'd have to be like. Well, now is he now is he talking about us? Right. And then he's like, therefore, if you're saying they did this, you're doing the same shit. That's right. Like, aren't you all guilty then with your logic? Yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah, get exactly. any of that in Romans one and two? No, not on the face, not on the face value, not on That's the surface. Right. That's right. Yeah, and that is so that kind of stuff. Again, it's um, there's just all you know. Again, it's only stuff I've only figured out 
in, in the last probably five to 10 years of like looking at things and, and listening to other people and studying things and reading, reading a lot and then realizing, Oh, that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Oh, that's something totally different. Right. So, um, yeah, so that, so this is the problem. Anytime a Christian wants to just flip open their English translation, um, pretty much almost any tra- English translation you might happen to own, doesn't matter if it's the message or NIV, NAS, RSV, um, and depending on the passage, like, but if you flip open your Bible and say, well, the Bible clearly says right here and you read it, um, well, maybe it does say that in your English Bible, but that may not be what it means. And you may be totally missing the the overall point, but it's just really difficult to even know that, um, you know, because again, they're not going to tell you that in there. Your pastor's not going to tell you that. And most people, when they say they believe the Bible, what they mean is, I believe what my pastor told me the Bible says, because <laughs> they don't really know what it says. Yeah. I wonder what the solution is, though. I mean, this is, it's a big problem in America. I don't know. I mean, I, I know that this type of Christianity is not just in America. Right. I know in Australia, they have these issues and a lot in Africa because of colonization, obviously. So yeah, a lot of the Christianity places in Africa and South America has experienced is this type of Christianity. Because well, we've where, exported it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been exported. Exactly. That's a good word. Yeah. Exported. Um, yeah. <laughs> we've exported our bullshit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. I, I think with like the growing popularity of the Bible for normal people. Sure. Um, yeah. You know. Pete Enz's podcast. Yeah. When you see growing popularity of people who like they still take the Bible very seriously. I'm sure they revere the Bible. They're Christians. Like they wouldn't yeah. say they're not Christians. They're scholars, you know, but, but they, but they, they're not, they're not arguing for inerrancy and for right. infallibility. It's like, okay, well, I, I think we're making progress. A lot of people are just hung on. I mean, it's, it, you know, a lot of people are just clinging on to that though. Of course. And I can't well, really talk to those people any longer. I have no interest. I don't no, know. I, and again, I, that's why on TikTok, when I, when I get people coming from that, making comments from that perspective, it's sort of like, oh, it's just exhausting. Like, oh my gosh, I would have to, I would have to record like 150 three minute videos, TikTok mm-hmm. videos to explain to you why you're, you're the way you're reading the Bible isn't, uh, doesn't well, and, make any sense. And it's not like, um, it's not like a braggadocious thing, but for those of us who have deconstructed so much of our faith, yeah, like you know the process that you went through, and then you can see where someone is at with the spirit of their question, and you're like, I, I don't, yeah. there's no way I could begin to even explain to you yeah. where the disconnect is. Like it's That's so right. far, it's like it's like a foreign language, right? Because even the like the first thing you would you might want to say to that person like we started off in this podcast, like you might want to start off by saying to someone like that, Hey, just so you know, um, you know, the Bible is a, not a univocal book and there's these different perspectives. Oh dude, they'd freak out on you. They'd shut, yeah. or they just shut you down. Oh, you're a false teacher. No, you're a liar. No, that's yeah. not true. Okay. Or well, even I, which Bible, which canon? Cause yeah. 66 books is a lot different than 81. Oh yeah. Like, and that's, that's the difference between the Coptics and the Protestants. So yeah. you're talking 15 different books. What's the percentage? I'm not a mathematician. That's like what twenty percent difference almost. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's so yeah. It's it's a problem, man. And I I don't know that there's an answer to it. I think it, you almost have to be at a you have to kind of like you said go through your deconstruction process. And and when you get around to deconstructing the Bible, then then you'll find there's a whole lot of great like you said a lot of great resources out there. There's great books. There's uh, podcasts and things like that that are, that would help you. Um, understand all the layers of the ways that the Bible it isn't what they've said. It's just not what they've told you. It's not inerrant, infallible, um, but it's not trying to be. And it doesn't mean, so when you, when we say it's not inerrant and infallible, we're not saying that it's not inspired. At least I'm not. I just, I just, when I talk about inspiration, I mean something different, right? hundred percent. So I, I use the analogy all the time about, um, like if something, something can be inspired, Gen- what I mean is like genuinely the spirit of God um, communicates something powerful and profound and true to you through the Bible, but it could be through a song or a movie or a, you know, a, a painting or a walk in the woods yeah. or a conversation across the table at Starbucks with your best friend. Um, but I, I would say those kinds of moments, those are inspired and in the, in the truth that you get, the aha moment you receive 
the uh, the wisdom that you get from or through those kinds of things, they're inspired. But I don't mean God wrote that thing. I don't right. mean it's inerrant or infallible. But that's right. the wrong question to ask. It's totally. It's still from God, and it's still a truth that's that's inspired. It it you just we we apply the wrong uh, qualifiers. That's that. exactly right. The analogy I would use right now is like, of course, since since I'm a Tolkien nerd, yeah. Peter Jackson's movies were inspired by the books. Does that mean they were in, inerrant? Were they great? They were. I thought they were great films. That's right. Oh yeah. Were they too. inerrant? Were they inerrant and infallible? No. There's no Tom Bombadil. There's no Scouring of the Shire. I don't remember the elves showing up at Helm's Deep. Um, yeah. There's no Old Man Willow in the Old Forest and the Barrow Whites, and so <laughs> yeah. it's missing things. Arwen doesn't save Frodo from the Black Riders. Um, right. But in the film, she does. Uh-huh. So is it not inspired, though? Of course it's inspired. Of course it's inspired. And, it, and it's still worthy of, I'm glad that exists based on the literature. And I'm, yep. So in the same way, is the Bible inerrant and infallible? No. Is it inspired? Yes. Does that mean that it contains errors? It, it does. But that doesn't mean we throw it out. I mean, it's right. a great text. And it's foundational. It's probably the most foundational text like for the, all the entire world. I mean, yeah. you could argue the Quran and you could argue the Bhagavad Gita or the, um, the Vedas. Yeah. And the Bible's right there. Yeah. So it's, it's one it's, of them at least. Yes. It's absolutely. hugely important. Right. Um, and, and we, and I, again, going back to one of my original points, we don't throw out everything that's not perfect. We would have no literature. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's also the difference between how we use the word, like how to say, like if something is true, you know, like mm-hmm. I think, and I think Jesus telling parables is helpful in that because, like, you know, Jesus yeah. is telling parables; they're stories, right? So, like the prodigal son, right? Probably the most famous parable Jesus told, one of them. Um, and you could say, well, is that a true story? No, it's he's not telling you about a real situation that actually happened. Right. But is it? Is there truth is there in truth? that story? Oh, right. hell yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. there's so much truth in that story. Right. And so, yeah, we have to get away. Like how stupid if like what you care about is, is it true or not? Then right. Instead of like paying attention to you know, the truth that's within right. it, right. whether or not it's true, right? So I don't right. think, um, you know, I don't believe that there was a talking donkey. And, uh, you know, I don't believe... I don't even believe that there was an actual physical uh, tree with a magical fruit that if you ate it, you know, ding, you would suddenly know. Uh, if you if you if you ate mushrooms before, you would probably <laughs> change your mind on that. Well, maybe there were maybe so, but that's not a tree and a fruit. Maybe that's a fungus. Like that. Okay, no, you ate like, the fungus and then you saw the tree and you're like, holy shit, it's like, got some magical what? fruit on it. And then you ate that peach oh, while you're tripping. Okay. You're like, holy shit, this peach is delicious. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, but even though I don't literally believe those things, I can still see that there's, it's useful to have a story that you can, it's helping you conceive or understand something, right? So, and then real quick too, I wanted to say, because this just happened, I I just finished teaching this Thomas uh, class on the Gospel of Thomas um, at UT El Paso. Yesterday actually was my, the last class. And it was funny because, so one of the ladies in the class, I was explaining one of the sayings from Thomas and some of them are really hard to grasp. Right. So I, I was explaining it and why, it, you know, it's because it, on the face value, it either seems ridiculous or just incomprehensible. Right. So I'm like, okay, we read it. And then I, okay, here's what it's saying. And then I walk through it and I explain it. Right. And then she says, well, she goes, I don't know. She goes, because, it just seems so hard to understand. But when I read, but when I read Jesus in the, in the gospels, you know, it's so, it's so easy to understand. And I was like, no, it's easy to understand because you grew up having someone tell you what, how to understand it. Right. If you on your own with no one to help you picked up a Bible and it, you know, with again, no grid, no filter, and you're reading it. And this guy, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing, you know, like you have no part of me. Okay. Do you automatically know what that means? No, you don't. But now you do because you read that and it doesn't shock you because, oh yeah, I know what that means. Right. And I know, I know, I don't take it literally. 
I know it's figurative. I know it's spiritual. I know it's a metaphor for some other, a deeper spiritual truth. Yes, because people have told you that and explained that to you, right? So you know, or or the or when he says, if you're if you if you're looking at a woman with lust and your and your right eye offends you, pluck out your own eye. That doesn't shock you or offend you because you know he doesn't literally mean go get a fork and pull your eye out. Um, so again, so with Thomas, it's just new to you. You've never heard that before, and and but yet you're still taking it as if it's literal. You're reading it as if he's literally telling you to do this thing and you're not giving it that layer of metaphor. Like, no, it's, it's like when he says these other things in the other gospels you're very familiar with, you just haven't taken the time to dig down and understand it. You know what I mean? So yeah, we, we, we tend to, and again, in some ways though, that's the problem, right? Because if you have grown up in church, you understand you think you understand the Bible, but what you may understand is the is the uh, the version or the explanation that you were given by your Bible teacher. You know what I love about that plucking out your eye story mm. is that none of these Christians have done that, but they believe in a literal hell. Of course. And it's like, well, that's really just bad analogizing, right? If you are, are like really mixing your metaphors, uh-huh. or if Jesus is telling a story about hell, it's like... That part's real, but then he's going to figuratively tell you to. It's like, yeah. Well, if you guys believe in a literal hell, I I, I expect to see either a bunch of perfect people, yep, or a bunch of one-eyed, one-hand, one-footed people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, isn't there like a meme of that or something like where someone's saying, uh, asking somebody like, okay, so, um, you believe that there was a talking snake in the garden in a magical tree? Oh no, no, no that's just metaphor. Oh, okay. So then you don't believe in like a lake of fire where God will throw people to be tortured forever. Oh no, that's yeah. real. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. make up your mind, dude. <laughs> I've got a great quote. It's from the Tolkien biography from, uh, Humphrey Carpenter. Uh, we have come from God continued Tolkien and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain error will also reflect a splintered fragment of the true light, the eternal truth that is with God. Mm. And to well, me, that's when, when you hear myth and Bible, a lot of Christians shy away. Right. But really, myth myth making is the only way we can tell our truth. And and as Gerard points out, many of our myths paper over the truth. Yeah. But then m- many of our myths, biblical included, probably starting with the Bible and in the, in the you know, yeah, um, have have truth in them that takes away uh, some of the falsities of the myths that we create. But we we can do nothing but create myth. That's like right. we can't, we can't tell the true story of God because we can't break away from our own subjectivity and our own grids and filters. So it's always going to be myth making based on our own. What do we think about God? Or yeah. you know, we, we're always. Pre- what is was it was it Richard Rohr who said like, um, God created us in His image, and then we returned the favor ever since. Um, no, actually, that was who was that. I want to say it was either Voltaire or somebody like that. Oh. Um, as I, I've, I've used that quote before, but I can't it's probably been repeated. Uh, yeah, many times. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So uh, I think we're getting near the end of this thing. So um, we are. We have I'm a meeting curious, coming up. Wrap this I'm, shit up. Okay. I'm curious though, because um, we've been talking about English translations and errors and you know reliability and blah blah blah. So yeah. do you have? Uh, texts or translations or versions of the Bible that you prefer or that you recommend? Indeed, I do, Keith. Um, I do as well. So I'm curious what you're Yeah. Saying. So if there's nowadays, if I'm just looking something up, I definitely um, consult my um, my personal David Bentley Hart. I've got him back here on retainer. Oh, yeah, um, me too. By not the way, him personally, quick, but he wrote a book real called quick. The New Testament. Yeah. And by the way, there's a new edition coming out in March with like oh. 500 or 600 um, edits and updates and notes and things. Oh, so wow. I, I've oh, already got it on pre-order. Of course you do. You're a fanboy. I am a fan. Um, so I do consult that a lot. That's the Yale edition of the David yep. Bentley Hart New Testament. Um, when I when I cite things, I use the New Revised Standard Version. Uh-huh. Um, I, I try to just stick with... You know, that's what people in scholarship use. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't quibble on like little differences here and there or theological points made. If I need to quote the NIV, I will. But I'll also point out that they add words based on their own of you know, ideas of God. I don't I don't but I don't quote the NIV. I don't think I have one. Um, 
I have like, uh, you know, I, I, Young's literal is fun to look at, but it's impossible to even like, <laughs> it's, it's like the phraseology is terrible. It's worse than the NASB, right. the uh, New American. I've used the New American before. Um, I think I have a New American with the Apocrypha. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, I quote, I quote NRSB um, when I need a helping hand. I, I quote David Bentley Hart, or I use him. Yeah. So what I've found is that, um, especially if somebody messages me and says, Keith, you know, what do you think about this passage? Or what, how do you explain or understand this passage? And they send me some kind of a, you know, a, a passage they want me to look at. Mm-hmm. I will look it up in David Bentley Hart because I, yeah. uh, and most of the time it's uh, his translation clears up the problem because they're reading it in NIV or, you know, Sure. Some other ESV or something like that. And I can say, well, you know, David Bentley Hart renders it this way. And if I'm really lucky, he's made a comment or a note about it, why he Uh translated it a certain way. So then Uh it's like, oh, this is why it should be this and not that. So I really, uh, really appreciate the, uh, so New Testament. Yes. David Bentley Hart's new translation is my go-to. And then I I really, I I liked, I prefer the Septuagint to, of the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures. most English translations will use the Masoretic text, and um, but the Septuagint is the version that Jesus and Paul seem to quote from uh, most often. And there, and just for me, the reason why is that there are significant differences in the Septuagint as compared to the Masoretic, especially around uh, passages like in Isaiah and things like that that tend to be very uh, pro uh, penal substitutionary atonement theory. Have you read Ekblad's essay on oh. that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so E. E. Robert Ekblad, um, scholar. Uh, it's in a book Jersack and Harden edited, uh, okay. Stricken by God. And he points out four huge differences in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant poems. I think the I've... Septuagint and yeah. the Masoretic texts. Yes. And oh, they're radical. All of the violent wrath pouring out on the suffering servant is removed in the Septuagint where it's present in the Masoretic. And they, no, and I so I have seen that. So maybe okay. that maybe that's where it came it's from. It's probably initially. from Ekblad's essay. Yeah. yeah um, because I, I wrote a blog post on it and I, I, I point out several of those. I'm sure I'm pointing out the same ones he's pointing out. Because if you just sure. if you just read the Septuagint and then you read uh, the Masoretic, it's like, it's, it's not it's minor. It's no, like it's major. Yeah. It's major. So like the Masoretic will say that, you know, God punished Jesus or God, yeah. uh, you sacrificed him. But in the Septuagint, it actually will say that God saved him or God heard him and yeah, healed, healed him, healed his, yeah. healed him. Yeah. Right. And, and it says, I think it says, uh, God will heal him if you make him a sacrifice. It's wild. Yeah. yeah so it's like difference. not God doing it. We are doing it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and that's not which, the only which place. Which again proves our point. Like yeah. how, how crazy and, and, and wonky is this whole system? Again, that's the problem again. Exactly. That's, that's exactly why, why this a topic is such a great topic because yeah. Um, yeah, you people get, you can open your Bible and you can read Isaiah and your Masoretic text. You don't even know that it's a Masoretic text. You think it's just the Bible. You're just a good Bible Calvinist says, and that's your right. go-to passage. <laughs> well, it says that. I know it says that, but... Uh, do you know it didn't? It didn't always say that. Some people change that, right? So yeah, I, so so that, so it didn't that God didn't write the Bible. People did, and then some other people retranslated it, and then some other people changed words, added words, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and messed. My with favorite it. is the um, Jer- as as we land here, uh, Jeremiah seven. Uh-huh. I didn't command sacrifices when I brought you out of the land. And then the NIV is like, I didn't command just sacrifices. It's like, uh-huh. that's, that literally <laughs> makes it the opposite of what I just that's said. Right. It, says, it says I demanded sacrifice and a whole bunch of other shit. And, right. but, but it really says I just simply I didn't, didn't. I didn't ask that. Period. Yes. Didn't, period. And they're like, no, 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 God. Well, we can't have that. that. No, that's yeah, the problem. We can't have that. Yeah. That, 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 that. That's a theological thing that we can't, we can't go there theologically. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All yeah, right. Dude. Well, as we land, uh, happy Festivus to the rest of us. Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks for listening. Um, don't click off yet. Like and subscribe this podcast. Uh, like and subscribe all the choir cast shows. Thank you. Um, you know, even if you don't plan, a, you're like, I can't add any, any more podcasts to my rotations. Well, add them, like them and subscribe anyway. And then start, you know, you might find your time listening to them or you might find you have more time and then you've already liked and subscribed. So uh, this is not church, messy spirituality, of course, Heretic Happy Hour, if you have the time and Ideas Digest. 
And I'm not going to, I'm just going to tease it now, but more are coming. Oh, beautiful things that are are beautiful. Things are coming. (laughs) I want to say more, but I can't yet. We have two huge things coming, one with the choir cast and one with the publishing side. And I'm just such a tease. I'm such a tease. Yeah. I can't say more, but soon, soon enough, young Padwans, be patient. Maybe next year we will make some great announcements. Yeah. Actually, we have one more, maybe next episode. We have one more between Christmas and New Year. And we have some meetings coming up. So yeah, we might finalize. And if the ink is dry, then we can make some announcements. And you'll be the first to know people. Actually, Patreon will be the first to know. So right, if you subscribe true. to Keith's Patreon or mine, right. I'll be the first to know. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, you listener, you lovely listeners will be second. All right. Tell your friends, share on social media. Happy rest of the uh, holiday season. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh, oh.